Just over 12 months ago, I was standing in Johannesburg, South Africa, with a man from the township of Soweto. We were talking about God, we were talking about the Bible, and eventually the topic came to justice. And he said to me, do you want to know what justice has looked like for me? Justice is that the man who attacked my daughter, the man who left my two grandsons orphaned, that he would face the punishment for what he did. When we hear things like that, when we hear stories from people who have faced incredible atrocities, our hearts are stirred, aren't they, to think something has to happen. There needs to be justice for this. This can't go unmet. And even if we were talking about justice even a month ago, the way that we might think about the word could be very different. But it's hard to not think about in this moment exactly what is happening all across the world. People protesting after the murder of, jo of George Floyd for what seems like a very unjust reason. Systemic racial injustice. And not just there, it's not just African Americans who are protesting against this, it's happening with Indigenous Australians, it's happening all across the world. Injustice. And hearts are stirred because we know within us deeply that that is not right. Now, I don't know the injustice that you have faced. As I give those examples, you might think, well, they're, they're much more than I've faced, or maybe it's not. I don't know. But whatever injustice you have felt, whatever crime has been committed against you, when that happens, or when it happens to someone you know or love, we feel that need within us, don't we? We feel that need that something must be done. But when I mentioned the, the protests that have been happening recently, your mind might have gone somewhere else. Your mind might have gone to the violent riots which have happened in response and thought, well, clearly that's wrong as well. And in lots of ways, I'd agree that there's reactions which have happened which might not be the most uh, helpful way to respond. But isn't that just part of the problem that justice needs to be met and so often as people we don't know exactly how to meet it we know that something needs to be done but it's so pervasive it's so challenging to meet it that we don't know what is appropriate it's so hard to know what we should do if our world actually could satisfactorily deal with justice wouldn't it solve so many of our problems? Imagine a world where no one got away with a horrific crime like those. But on the other hand, we're also aware that we need love. Justice in and of itself isn't enough for us to be satisfied, for us to feel content in this world. It's necessary, but it's not enough. We need love. Imagine for if my two daughters, I led with perfect justice that had no love in it. 
it wouldn't take any time for us to know that that isn't right, that that isn't helpful for them. They need love. Our world needs love. And again, this year, that has been made acutely aware to us that we need love. Whether it's the separation that we've felt from loved ones, whether it's not being able to see people that we care about in times of pain. We've felt the need for love for those around us to care for us and for us to care for others. This year, we've had reminders of the need for justice, but also of love. But on the, same, on the other hand, love by itself isn't enough. If I raised my two daughters with love that had no justice that would lead them off in a totally unhelpful, different direction. In our world, we need both. But at best, so often, the love and the justice that we need aren't met. So often, the love and the justice that we can achieve is insufficient or contradictory. So how can we actually achieve it? Where do we go? Where is our hope? Well, today, as we read this psalm that we've just heard, we see the celebration of the ultimate and perfect justice and love. And we see those things in the God who created our world. Because in God, both love and justice are upheld perfectly. Have a look at the first words of David here. I will sing of your love and your justice. To you, Lord, I will sing praise. Even though our world's love and justice can be insufficient, even though they can seem at odds, David here can reflect on God's love and justice throughout the history of Israel, throughout the history of God's people with God. He can see that, and we can reflect on it right back to the garden right back to the garden, even before Adam and Eve fell, we can see God's love and his justice. We can see his love in that he created them in a beautiful place, a beautiful place that not only was it beautiful in and of itself, but it had a, they had a relationship with God there. And we also see God's justice, justice to say, if you disobey me, if you eat from that one tree, you will surely die. Even before the fall, David and we can reflect on God's love and justice together. But then after the fall, God's love and justice are seen. God's justice in saying, you rebelled against me, and so you are banished from the garden. You are banished from my presence. But God's love in that he clothed them, He kept them warm. He kept caring for them. And his love in that they didn't die straight away. And even more, we can see it again in the great Exodus, where God saved his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. We see God's love and justice. We see God's love in that he brought them out of Egypt, that he cared for them. He led them. He saved them with his mighty hand, God showed his love. But again, God shows his justice in that he told his people how they needed to live. And if they didn't live that way, what would happen? That he again would banish them from the land that he was going to give them. 
Now, that's just a snapshot of a few situations, but again and again, David and we can look at how God works with his people and see his love and justice. But as we walk through the psalm, there can be a couple of reactions that we can have to seeing God's love and justice. Well, the first thing we see that is that David, he wants to uphold God's love and justice. And he wants God to be able to ultimately deliver it. Look at verse 2. Second line of verse 2, when will you come to me? David asked the Lord, when will you come? David knows that ultimately only the Lord can really bring these things properly. And so he seeks that God would bring it. But he doesn't just sit back and wait. Because he knows who God is and his character, he seeks to uphold God's love and justice as he rules as Israel's king. He intends to live a life by God's standards. And so David is careful how he lives. Have a look at verse 2. I'll be careful to lead a blameless life. Verse 3. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. David knew it was important for himself that he was not to live as evil people did because of God's standards. But he also knew it was important because he was king. He knew it was important for him to institute, legislate justice in the kingdom. And so he says that in verse 7, nobody who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. David knows that as king, he has a responsibility to uphold the justice that God has demanded of his people. And so, if somebody is a liar, they're gone. Now, could you imagine our society ever possibly being able to go there? It's hard to imagine how any kingdom, any society, could legislate against that effectively. But because it's God's standard, that's what David upholds. And then there's at points where it seems even more extreme. Have a look at verse 5. David says, Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. How could that possibly be enforced? Notice that's not just an action. That's not just something that people are doing externally. That's a matter of someone's heart, their pride. But again, even though we don't know how David practically instituted that, that is God's standard. Going back to the Ten Commandments, when God was gracious, he was loving and just to his people as they came out of Egypt into their land, the last of the commandments is, do not covet. Now, that's different from the earlier command to not steal. This is to not jealously desire what somebody else has in your heart, to want it for yourself. God's standards aren't just about external actions, they're more than that. They're about the heart. And so David knows that it's better to reject that evil for himself and for his kingdom than for God to reject him and the nation. But as we read earlier that psalm, and as we go through this, can I suggest this psalm might not sit that comfortably with you. 
And I can suggest that, I think, because the first few times that I read it, it didn't sit that comfortably with me either. Because as we hear God's standard, and we hear that David's wanting to uphold it, I know David. I know what he did. I know his life. And so I, I read this, and I hear David say it, and it sounds exactly what I fear the world around us, our, our Australian society, thinks of us as Christians. Hypocrisy. Judgy people who, in their own lives, have failings, but are going to tell everybody else what they can and cannot do. We know that David failed in him, for himself. He had an affair with a, a married woman, Bathsheba. And then he had her husband sent off to the front lines of war so that he would be killed. They are serious crimes. David in himself failed a high standard. But then as well in how David leads his people, we see later in 2 Kings that King Josiah tears down the high places where people worshipped other gods. Now, that was one of the very first things that God told his people not to do. But even though King Josiah is years after David, some of those high places that he tore down had been put up in the time of David. That even from the time of David, there were people who were worshipping other gods in his nation that David has just said that he wants to lead with this standard. How is that supposed to sit comfortably with us? that David is telling other people how they should live, but we know that he didn't uphold a perfect standard himself. Well, the answer to it, beautifully, is back to verse 1, is beyond David in God himself, in his love and in his justice. God, in his justice, has unmatched love. And so, notice that in verse 2, it doesn't say, I will be careful to lead a perfect life. It says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. Now, at times, perfect, blameless, they could mean the exact same thing. But the distinction here, I think, is really significant. David knows with a deep groaning his own failings. Psalm 51 is a powerful expression of someone who recognises their own guilt but recognising that own, that his own guilt before a loving God. A loving God who knows, he knows will accept him if he repents, if he turns from his sin, if he turns from his failings and trusts in that loving, just God. It is a beautiful thing that David, King David, is able to sing of God's love and justice, even considering his own failings. Even the flawed King David helps us to see how beautiful God's love and justice are. But you and I, if we trust in Jesus, have an even greater King, King Jesus, who doesn't show us God's love and justice through his repentance, he shows God's love and justice through perfectly modelling them to us and perfectly modelling that high standard which God demands of his people. Jesus never needed to repent. 
He could celebrate God's love and justice in a way that we couldn't, even in a way that David couldn't. Jesus could sing this psalm in a way that even David couldn't sing it. And more than that, whereas King David could legislate what people did with their lives and even remind people of the high standard that God, the loving just God, has over their hearts, King Jesus, he knows our hearts. He knows our failings. He knows your failings. And he stands to intercede for us and he sends his spirit for, in, for us and into us to help us to change, to help us to turn from our failings and back to the living, true God who loves us. We do not need to think of love and justice as opposites for so many reasons, because we see it throughout Israel's history time and time again. David could celebrate that and affirm it. But you and I, on this side of the cross, can celebrate that even more. We can celebrate that Jesus, as he lived and he suffered and he died, perfectly showed God's love and his justice. That on the cross, God's love was made known to us. But also that God's justice is dealt with. Jesus beautifully meets both of those. It's not as though David's crimes are unpunished. It's not as though our crimes are unpunished. It is only through Jesus taking that punishment that you and I can know life and life with that loving, just God. That man who I mentioned before, who I met on the streets of Johannesburg, that wasn't all he had to tell me about justice and his thoughts about justice. I asked him, had he seen any justice for what had happened to his daughter? And this is what he said to me. He said, I found the man. I found the man who did that. But six months before I found him, I found forgiveness from God. And I realized that even though what he did was horrible, he needed the same forgiveness from God that I needed. So I took him to the police, but I told him that even more than that, that he could have Jesus face his punishment too. Can you imagine saying that to someone who had hurt you like that? I would love to say that I could say that. That is a challenging thing to be able to say, but the only way that any of us could say it is if we have met and know well the loving and just God that is celebrated here. That is who that man knew, and that is who I would love for us to praise and sing to this morning. We need love and justice. Let's sing to our God. Who is that? Let's sing. <laughs>